0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. My name is Pastor Joe, and I I want to welcome you here with us, and thank you for being with us, and I'm excited to uh, preach the gospel this morning. Uh, A couple of important things I want to highlight before we get moving. Uh, This last week, I was at a lead team meeting with uh, other Converge pastors. We have a dual affiliation. We are affiliated not only with uh, a ministry called Converge, we're also affiliated with Acts 29 Network. And uh, in both of those, there's good, godly, older, seasoned pastors and church planters who basically really help to give me a ton of resource, a lot of oversight, and some really good accountability as well as help me figure out how to raise up internally elders and leaders and deacons and disciples really who follow Jesus well with their lives. And so this last week I met with other converged pastors of what is known as a quarterly lead team meeting. And what we did there was got together, we shared life a little bit, we shared updates what was happening in our churches. That was on Tuesday. Then Wednesday, I uh, drove out of town with a couple of other Acts 29 church planters, some from Corndale and Omaha, some from uh, Two Pillars in Lincoln, and we drove out to Oklahoma City, and I uh, got to meet with a couple other hundred church planters from Nebraska, uh, Kansas, and Oklahoma, and basically what happened was we formed the very first meeting, uh, the Heartland Region for Acts 29, and, and it was just really cool. Before that, they were kind of more loosely organized as a network, and uh, so that being my first meeting, I mean, there were more big beards, plaid shirts, funky-looking shoes, vests bald heads and uh, tattoos than I've seen in one place in a long time. And so I just felt right at home. Well, it was good to be among brothers who were doing the same thing, who are mature in Christ, who love the Lord, love their wives, love their kids, love the gospel, and are, are, are not afraid or ashamed to live it as well as say it. And, and it was just good. So that was kind of the first night. Went, past after that, woke up at like 5.30 the next morning, drove over to Dallas from Oklahoma City, and actually, it was 4.15 when we left the hotel. Drove over to, uh, to Dallas from there and, uh, and joined into the National Acts 29 Conference. 1,300 other church planters, pastors, some of their wives were there. And then for the next couple of days, went through a bunch of breakouts. What does it look like to raise up truly godly, biblical uh, elders and leaders in a church? What does it look like to actually make true Christian disciples? What does it look like to do evangelism? What does it look like to raise funds and so on and so forth? And it was just a... It, it was a super, super good um, meeting. A third thing, and, and last, before we jump into the text this morning, is this. And our leadership team met last Sunday. Some of you would remember that, and some of you were part of that. And, and, and we outlined, what we did was we outlined some goals that we believe will strengthen and grow the ministry of this church, the well, this church we're trying to plant. And, um, we also crafted a new vision statement. So here's, here's the deal. Here's kind of how it goes. This is kind of what we came up with. Uh, we're, we're running a rescue mission within the yard of hell. Mission. Everybody say mission. mission. We're running a rescue mission within the yard of hell. But what for, right? Why? Why are we doing that? Uh, the reason that we're running a rescue mission within the yard of hell is to be a gospel-centered church family that grows disciples that glorify God. That's the vision. So when somebody says, hey, man, we're on a mission, we're doing this thing, and somebody's like, why are we doing it? Here's the flashlight out in the darkness to show you why and where we're trying to head. We want to grow. We want to be a gospel-centered church family There's a lot of intentionality behind these words. And man, listen, our leadership team will tell you, I wasn't the one that said it must sound this way. Our leadership team worked hard for, we were together for about four hours and they crafted different statements on their own. And then we took bits and pieces of each one and put it up on a board until we finally condensed it down to what it seemed like the Holy Spirit was speaking to all of us. Because we know, we believe that scriptures point us to a plurality of leadership. And so, man, this is not a one-trick show, a one-man show. I'm not the boss here, okay? So when you hear these things, these goals and these mission and vision statements, no, this isn't just coming out of my brain because my brain's not smart enough for that. And so thank you to our leadership team. So our mission, run a rescue mission from the yard of hell, to be a gospel-centered church family, to grow disciples, to glorify God. But what for, right? What for? For the purpose. Everybody say Purpose. For the purpose of following Jesus, leading families, making disciples, sending missionaries, and planting churches. So, that's mission, vision, and purpose. This is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. This is what we hope to accomplish, okay? Not a country club. It's not that. One bit. I want to reach lost people, see them become disciples who glorify Jesus, become gospel-centered people who are then living that out. By being these kinds of people, missionaries who are sent, disciples who make other disciples, planting other churches, and so on and so forth. So that was kind of the statement we came up with. We also, underneath all that, we said, okay, so what's our 5 to 10-year goal? Where do we want to land in 5 to 10 years? And I can't wait to like listen back to this message or come back to uh, some of those notes and see where we're at in 5 to 10 years and just see what God does. I have a feeling he can do far bigger, far greater than what I'm about to say. The big goal that we kind of said now, we said in five to ten years, our big organizational goal is this. We want to outgrow our current space and plant another church. Does that sound crazy? Does that sound big enough? Yeah, I think, I think that's a huge goal given where we're at currently. Uh, and so it's for us to be dreaming about the idea that in a five to ten years we want to outgrow this space we want to plant another church somewhere else. Maybe that's Grand Island. Maybe that's Kearney. Maybe that's Alma. Maybe, that's, maybe we're part of that. Um, whatever that looks like, we want to plant. Maybe it's Harvard. We've talked about Harvard. Some of us have. Um, there's not a lot of rural church planting going on. So what does it look like to plant a church in a community of 900 to 1,000 and actually see it spring up and grow and become self-supportive and self-propagating and self-led? That's what it looks like to plant churches that are healthy, gospel-centered churches that proclaim the name of Jesus regardless of the opposition against them. For us, what does it look like for us to outgrow this space? How can we outgrow this space but maybe keep some of the costs the same? Well, one of our team members said, what would it look like then if we grew so big in here that we had to flip things? We put the kids in here, right? And then the adults, we all start meeting in the gym. Maybe we use half the gym to start with and keep the curtain down, right? And then we grow to fill that, and then we raise the curtain, and, well, we can just double again. Maybe in five to ten years, maybe we'd still be in this location, still spending the same amount of money, but growing triple to four times in size. And some people are like, well, why do you got to focus on growth? Because I think Jesus focused on growth, period. That's what I think. I think it's what most of us think anyways. Um, And so I hope that if we are truly pushing towards raising up gospel-centered disciples who honor God and glorify God with their lives, this is where we'll be in five to ten years. This is where we'll be, I think, sooner than that. I really do. I really think so. So I'm super excited, super stoked. Thanks to our leadership team. Let's pray before we start our study. <laughs> Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for the conversation we just had. Lord, I, I know that some in here are like, what What the heck did he just say? Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out. I'm still asleep. I get it. So, Lord, I just, I pray, Father, for, for everything that we just communicated. God, I, I know that <clears throat> I'm in a different place. I'm being silly. Lord. I, we want to take this serious, but, Lord, we want to be excited about you. We want to be excited about you and what, what you have done in our hearts and lives. And, Lord, I, we need you. We need you to do work in us. We need you to do work in this little church. We need you to help us to, to become who you want us to be in. And uh, help us to be the family that you've called us to be. So God, I, I pray today, Lord, as we dig into this text and as we examine, as we examine the, uh, the family line, this list of names, of who was in Jesus' family, God, I just pray that you would bless the preaching of your word and that you would open our hearts to you and that you would change us. Lord, we need you. We bless you. And when we give this time to you, ask that you be here with us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I have no PowerPoint today. So deal with it. Here we go. <laughs> Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 38. Luke 3, verses 23 through 38. As you're turning there, I want you to get this. I want you to remember this. Remember this. As a family. As a family, man, we come from some messy and some really hopeless places, but here's the deal. The family of God, the family that God is building is is being cleansed and, and filled with hope. The family that we come from is messy and hopeless, but the family that God builds, the family that God builds is being cleansed and filled with hope. Let me begin by reading this long list of Really difficult to pronounce names. Follow along with me. Starting in verse 23 of chapter 3. <clears throat> Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. The son of Heli. The son of Matat, The son of Levi. The son of Melchi. The son of Jani. The son of Joseph. The son of... Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Ezli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maith, the son of Matthias again, the son of Semin, the son of Josic, the son of Jodah, the name Jodah, like Yoda. the son of Joannan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Malkai, the son of Addai, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam. The son of Ur. That's like, Ur, what's up? We're going to get over Ur. The son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Metat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonah, the son of Elikim, the son of Malia, the son of Mina, the son of Matetha. the son of Nathan. Oh, the son of David. We got that one. We know that one. That one We know son of David, verse 32. The son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz. I love Boaz. You're going to watch out because he'll kick your ass. That's Boaz. That's Boaz. That's Boaz. That's what I say to all the guys who are interested in my daughters. Watch out. I'm going to bring Boaz. You're going to kick your ass. The son of Salah, the son of... Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, he was an administrative assistant, the son of Arnie, the son of, I mean, Arnie, I mean, who's going to name their kid Arnie? Hey, Arnie, come on, yeah, come on Arnie, come over here, son of Arnie, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, we know those guys, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Zerug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg. Man, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah. Remember that guy? Noah built a big boat. The son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah. Methuselah, I know that one. He lived to be really, really old. Um, The son of Enoch. The son of Jared, I could talk to you about Enoch all day. You ever want to have a conversation about the book of Enoch? Man, you come to my house and we can have a long theological conversation and you'll see my face get red and we will get frustrated and it's really, really good. I'm going to move on. The son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel. There, it's about, when, when all else fails, just, just roll the tongue. And, and you'll get it. <clears throat> the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So, so here's the deal, right? There, there's, a, there's a ton of names in this list, right? There's a ton of names in Jesus' family. And, and uh, can you imagine the family reunion? Like, if, if all these guys, like, came together, like, what that family reunion would be like? Yeah, yeah some of them are in heaven. Yeah, I, I think that some of them are. I don't know if they're all there or not. But. So that's what I want to talk to you today about is this, the family. I want to talk about the family. It kind of reminds me of when I watched that movie, The Family, I saw somebody post on Facebook, like, if he's actually going to talk about that, I'm really, it just reminds me of that movie, man, big old messed up Italian mobster gangster style movie, like, all lying to each other and trying to shoot and kill each other, daughters, like, sleeping with a teacher at school and, and acting a fool, right, there, I can sound Southern. And then, and then, you know, you, and then you got the dude in the movie, I think, uh, he's, he's trying to hide out from the mob because he turned state's evidence, and, and now he's hiding out on his back porch. And he's, like, trying to write a book, but he's not supposed to be writing a book, so he's lying to everybody about it, and he's, like, you know, whacking dead dudes and, like, burying them in the backyard and trying to make sure his wife doesn't know, and then his wife goes into the market, and she's trying to buy food. They don't have peanut butter, They're making fun of her because she's American, and then suddenly she blows up the market and walks out. Like, family's just a big, fat, rackety mess, right? It's kind of the picture. <laughs> That's kind of the picture that we're dealing with today as we look at some of this story. And so here's the deal. I said it earlier. I'm going to say it again. In the family we come from, it's messy. It's messy. It's, it's probably never going to stop being messy. The family that each of you and I come from, as we look back in our family tree and we look back at the different names in the list, we know it's a super big mess. And as we focus on it for a long time, we'll, we'll begin to get really, really down. We'll begin to get really, really hopeless. Like, man, our family just thinking sucks, right? No hope in that. And here's the deal though. The family that God builds, the family that God builds cleanses it. He changes it. He transforms it. He regenerates it. He makes us new. He takes the old things. He casts them away. Our our sin is cast as high as the heavens are above the earth, as far as the east is from the west. That's what God does for us and he rebuilds the family. And when he builds that family, he cleanses it and he changes it. He fills us with hope. He takes our mess and casts it away and Takes our hopelessness and puts it aside and helps us to find hope in his son, Jesus. So here's the deal, man. I, I come from a family that's laced with, like, drug use, alcohol addiction, broken relationships and divorce, <clears throat> physical, emotional abuse. I had great-grandpa that had ties with the Italian mob. And it, let me just say, it, it's Italian, not Italian. There's no such place as Italy, okay? It's Italy, so it's Italian, so you, if you say Itali- or if you say Italian to a real Italian, like he'll whack you right there, like <clears throat> you're done, right? Okay, so just remember that. This a little side note. It, it's important, okay? Like when you get Italian dressing, you hear that Italian, not Italian, okay? So uh, I mean, I had a great grandpa that uh, had ties to the Italian mob. Uh, my mom loved prescription drugs and illegal drugs too. My dad was an alcoholic. Mom and my dad were both divorced multiple times when I was a kid. It was painful. It was hard. It, it, was, it, it was a mess. It was a mess. It felt hopeless. I was, I was addicted to illegal drugs myself, man. Ran with a drug dealing ring in Lincoln for a season. And, and i committed adultery in more ways and more times than I could possibly even begin to describe. My, my, uh, my, my rage and my anger in my own life coming out of some of that background was so out of control in some places that, honestly, dude, like I sat a dude down and pulled my gun out, ratcheted the slide, put it up against the hand. I was like, you ever come back here again? I'm going to blow your stinking brains all over this couch. I've been in some places. I have come from a background of a real nasty mess. I know what it is to live in a messy, messed up, screwed up family. I know what it's like to want to just tap out and just quit because life is that hopeless. We all understand this reality. We all get it as we start talking about that. We know that the playing field is pretty level for each and every one of us. We all can take a look at our own family, our own background, our own list of names from our family tree. We can all look at that and go, yep, I get it. Yep, my family is a wreck. My family, the place I come from, it's a mess. It's messy, and it seems hopeless. I know that for all of us, we can describe our family sometimes using words like depression or hate or anger, hurt, control, abuse, selfishness, suffering, adultery, loss, pain. These are are word descriptors that can describe the family background that we all come out of. What a mess, man. What What a hopeless situation sometimes. It's messy hopeless, but the family that God builds, guys, the family that God builds is a family that he's cleaning up it's a family that's being cleansed, it's a family that's being changed, it's a family that's being filled with hope and with that said, I'm excited to kind of examine this theme of God's family in our text with you, so what does this passage teach us about, about Jesus' family what do we learn about Jesus' family as we dig back into the text, so that, I mean some of you are like, really, is, it, is he going to preach the Bible? like, how do you preach a genealogy in the first place? well, here we go and Luke teaches us that Jesus is a member of two families. Jesus is a member of two families, all right? He's part of a human family. He's also part of God's family. And oftentimes, man, when I, when I think of Jesus' family, I think of his family as being like the Partridge family. Perfect. Or like, you know, beaver cleaver family, you know? <laughs> just, you know, kind of just perfect. Everything's good. It's, it's all great. Or maybe maybe his family is like the Waltons. Like if you were looking, at Because, man, you know, when I think about Jesus, uh, Uh, I just think, man, Jesus was perfect, so it's really easy uh, for me to think of his family as being the most perfect, the most desirable family to be a part of, right? Anybody get that? You know what I'm talking about? You ever, you know, as you're a kid, you're like, I wish I was a part of that family because they're so cool, right? That's, and when I think about Jesus' family, I oftentimes, I think about that, and, you know, sometimes when I, when I thought about that, though, uh, there's a part of me that maybe doesn't want to be a part of somebody else's perfect family because maybe their family is more of a mess than they let on to be. Or the other part of it could be that if I get in there, I'm just going to make a big fat mess out of it anyways. And so there's kind of this fear that kind of wells up inside. I mean, this is kind of our fear, isn't it? If you think about it, as as you think of the nasty family you come from versus good family that God wants to put you in, there's two fears that well up. Like man, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just gonna just F that up really bad if I get into that family. Or I'm gonna get in there, I'm gonna find out there's a bunch of big fat fake losers. There's a big mess under the scene anyways, it's about to crumble to fall apart. That's what's gonna happen. And I've been so disillusioned at times that when it comes to this idea or a doctrine of the church family, that, that it's 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 not what it seems. And listen, if if it's not all of the above fears that I just talked about and and the mess of being a part of the family, then it's just simply this. That I have some really high expectations that I bring to the table. And I put them there. And I put them on other people, right? And so sometimes my high expectations that I bring to the table, man, those things can utterly destroy everything, right? You know what I mean? I mean, like... Check it out. Like, I get burned by some so-called Christian in some so-called church somewhere. And I get bent over it. I begin to elevate their sin against me over my own sin. And then this, here's this. If I'm really honest, I elevate their sin over the power of the cross. And then I go on a rampage to prove you know, why they're disqualified and why that church sucks and why I'm so worthy and why Jesus loves me and why they need to repent. And we, we all walk in this times. And don't hear me wrong, man. Here's the deal, man. In in a healthy, hear me say this. In a healthy church family, there's got to be honesty among brothers and sisters. There's got to be honesty. Sometimes a brother or sister needs to come alongside another brother or sister and say, hey, look, you can't be looking at that girl that way. You can't be sleeping with that girl. Like, you can't be getting all up in that guy's junk. You can't be doing that. You can't Man, you can't be out getting trashed now. You can't be up till 6 o'clock in the morning and expect to make it to church on time be a part of the family. You can't. Like, you've got to start living like a family member. Like, there are times in the family where we just need to be honest and say, hey, this is what it is. It's on the table. You're going to have to deal with that in, in love, in grace, obviously, mercifully. There's times when that needs to happen. And sometimes what happens is that brother or sister, man, they kind of stiff arm, they hide, they run off, they whine, they pout, they write... Nasty blogs and letters and they talk trash. It's all right. Usually it happens because of their own past wounds and hurts. It's okay. That's going to that's gonna happen. Family is a mess at times, right? And listen, guys, there's got to be accountability and discipline in the family to be sure that, that we as sinful brothers and sisters, that we never forget our deep, deep need for Jesus. Without merciful discipline, without merciful and loving confrontation then brothers and sisters will walk right back into sin again. But if I don't have somebody coming to me and being like, hey, how are you taking care of your wife? How are you taking care of your kids? Are you taking some time off? What are you doing with the hurt and the wounds and the pain in your life? Are you confronting people who have hurt you? Are you being merciful? If I don't have some brothers, some healthy brothers that will come alongside me and hold me accountable that way, I'm going to fall flat on my face tomorrow. I will cease living in a way where, where my life says, I need Jesus. I will start sitting back with my arms crossed. I'll start scrunching my nose. I'll start giving you the evil eye like this, right? Start tapping my foot. Like, because you suck, man, right? You suck. Me, I'm perfect. And that's going to happen if I don't get somebody to hold me accountable. And you need it just as much as I need it. So I'm not, I'm not banging or bagging on having accountability, man. We've got to have that in our family. Love those opportunities. Now, here's the deal, man. If you're here this morning you say, I follow Jesus, let's be honest. Okay, let's just be really honest. Now, some of you that are here, you say you follow Jesus, but you're not. You're not. And Some of you say you follow Jesus because you come out of a really messed up background, just like me, and you want to be a part of something better. And so you're here and you're like, man, I'm part of the family. i got to claim Christ like everybody else does if, if I can fit in. But the reality is that in your life, maybe the power of the cross is not there some of you that are here that are actually following Jesus? So let's be honest, man. If you say you follow Jesus and that, that you love him, then, then what happens is that you're just like him because you're a member of two families. You're a member of a human family that's all messed up, right? And you're also a member of God's family that's being made new. It's being cleansed, being changed, being given hope. That's exactly where we find ourselves this morning. Look at this. couple of people we see in the text, Right? And we see this name Joseph early on in, in verse 23 where, where Luke writes that Jesus was the son as was supposed. Everybody say, as was supposed. As was supposed. Yeah, it was good. Works for me. As was supposed of Joseph. So, so here's the deal. We don't know much about Joseph. We hear that in the text, as was supposed, because people suppose that Jesus was Joseph's son, right? Because Mary was getting married to Joseph. So it must make sense that it must be Joseph's son. <clears throat> Except, here's the deal, at one point I think he was contemplating running out on Mary, right? He's contemplating bailing out on raising Jesus. It's more than likely that some people question the whole story anyways, like seriously, God spoke and like God made the baby? Pfft, whatever, like they had sex before marriage. And There's some people that were like, yes, yeah, supposedly, right? as was supposed. Uh, we'll see how that's going. So it's more than possible that for, for Joseph many wanted to save his own skin. How many of you guys would raise your hand with me and say, yeah, I've, I've done some things to save my own skin? Yeah, there's at least two of us there, three, four. There's some girls, too. Yeah, we've all done this. Right? We've all done this. Trying to save our own skin, bail out, bow out, tap out, get out. But I, mean, I don't, I don't want to want any part of that because that's gonna like blow things up for me. So, I think that's kind of where Joseph was like, man. I think he was kind of acting like most men in his family, man. If you go all the way back to Adam, you'll notice Adam was in his family, right? Adam, he's this actively passive dude in the Old Testament. We're going to get to him later. It's very possible that Joseph, very possible that Joseph contemplated vacating this thing so he'd go on and build himself the perfect family, you know, that wouldn't mess with his reputation or anything. How about this, though, man? In verse 31, we see the name of David. How about David, man. David was a king, right? We know some stories about him. David did some pretty rocking cool things, right? He killed a giant with a stone. I ain't never done anything like that. Take a better look at him, though, man. David was a manipulative, scheming, friend murdering, power abusing, typical, bored male man who used his influence to sexually take advantage of a woman next door. What a loser. What a poser. What a fake. about Jacob, Isaac and Abraham, verse 34, Jacob was deceptive, he was a liar, Isaac followed in his father's footsteps, chickened out of a challenge whenever possible, like any time a challenge came up, man, he's bowing out, get me out of tap out, right, Abraham chickened out of protecting his wife, to save his own skin, he lied by telling the Pharaoh that she was a sister, it was a half-truth, to be sure, it was a half-truth, so he thought he could get away with it. But the reason, the thing that motivated him is clear in the text. The thing that motivated him is trying to save his own butt. So he was doing, tapping out, chicken out. This is what happens then. Pharaoh, oh, it's just your sister? Dude, she's hot. She's fine, man. She's the best looking chick in the whole nation. Takes her up to his bedroom. Gets ready to have a hot, steamy night, right? Until God kind of interrupts. God interrupts like a real man. Taking care of a woman, serving a woman, loving a woman, protecting a woman. God jumps in, does the manly thing, curses Pharaoh's neighborhood and his family, basically brings attention to the fact that the man Pharaoh better leave Sarah alone. If he doesn't leave Sarah alone, he's going to face the wrath of a real man. How about that? That's, that's the story. We see the, we see the story of Noah, right? The name of Noah, verse 36. Here's Noah, yeah, man, he built a big boat. And he got trashed one night, passed out naked in front of his family, causing some of his family to sin by his own model of sin. That's what he led others to do with sin. I see the name of Adam. Good old Adam. Mm. Only dude on the face of the planet. Only guy on the face of the planet. He's got the only chick on the face of the planet. (coughs) Got nothing. It's just the two of them. And they're living alone in a garden. God says, man, take care of everything. Just don't eat of that one tree over there. Adam. Adam, wake up. Ugh. He's got this awesome wife given to him by God, totally naked with one another. Listen, in many ways. Not just naked with no clothes, but totally vulnerable, totally transparent. Totally vulnerable and saying, man, I, I, I struggle, I sin. That's the type of vulnerability and nakedness that was lost that day when Adam did what he did. And what does he do? God comes, confronts him. He's walking in the cool of the day, walking around. Adam, where are you? Adam's hiding out in the weeds because he figures out that he's naked. He gets ashamed of his sin, and this has been, this has been what we've been walking in since then. He's standing passively by like a true, true coward, right, man? He's blaming Eve first for Eve's sin and his sin, and then he blames God. It's the woman you bought me, woman you made me, you gave her to me. It's your fault, God. This is what we all do. God, it's your fault, man. You put me in that family. You made me this way. You put those people around me. You made this mess. We, do, we would never say it, but we do by the way that we live our lives. Because what happened that day when original sin happened is everything got wrecked. And we've been living in that wreckage since then. So Jesus is a member of a human family, man. A human family that is pretty stinking messed up, right? If it weren't for the rest of the story that we know, some of us know very well, but things would appear to be very dismal, very hopeless. And that's the bad news, that is the bad news. Good news does not become good news until you first are confronted with the bad news. Jesus, just like you and I, man, he had some roots in a, in a human family that is really messed up, really messed up and really hopeless. But Jesus is also a member of God's family. Can somebody say amen to that one? Amen. Like he's, he's a member of God's family. That's an exciting thing, man. In our text, Luke establishes this. He establishes that Jesus is the Son of God and and a member of God's family through the Holy Spirit's work in the Virgin Mary. Listen, all the way through the first couple of chapters in this gospel that we've been studying now, all the way through those first couple of chapters, our master, doctor, storyteller, Luke, has been drawing our attention. He's been painting on a canvas, if you will, this Picture of the gospel coming to life in the person and the work of Jesus. He's drawing our attention to the miraculous nature of Jesus coming and being born by flesh and blood to redeem flesh and blood. That's cool. By the Spirit's power, through the generosity of the Father, according to the pre planned, you might say predestined, we'll just stay away from it right now, purposes of the Godhead to pay the price for our sin through his brutal rejection and beating and stomach-turning, horrifying death that led to his victorious and glorious resurrection three days later and then his soon-to-follow ascension to heaven where he's seated at the right hand of the Father, creating a place and a space for you and I to spend eternity with him because of our faith through the sustaining scandalous grace of God for the glory of God. Yeah? Yeah? I mean, if you're here and you claim Jesus, there's it's gotta get you like a little bit excited, like dude, I know the mess I come from. Like it's a big fat freaking mess over here all week long, but then I'm realizing like Jesus is who he says he is when I mean, he came from heaven. All these things that the pastor is preaching, it's, it's true and I'm a part of his family and it, and it doesn't matter the mess I come from because God is building the family I'm part of and, and he's taking away my hopelessness and he's giving me hope now and he's cleaning up my mess and I'm, I'm, I'm just clinging to his bloody feet because I got, I, got, I got nothing else. That that excites me. That excites me. This is the gospel message, man. Jesus comes in perfect flesh to be a ransom for sinful flesh. He was a ransom for sinful flesh so that God could regenerate, justify, reconcile, adopt, sanctify, and glorify his enemies. His enemies to the tune of his own glory. While the on-looking world goes to hell in a handbasket. Jesus became a part of our sinful, messed-up, hopeless family. So that we could find salvation and hope in our Heavenly Father's family. Let me say it this way. Jesus throws in, okay? Get this. Get this. Jesus throws in with the likes of people who chicken out, run out on the responsibilities of this life. He jumps into the family who is manipulative, scheming, friend-murdering, power-abusing, Typical, boring people use their influence to take advantage of other people, sexually, emotionally, physically. He jumps into that family. That's where he comes and he spends time. He he becomes a part of that family. Hangs in the same room of family members who chicken out and make excuses. And nothing infuriates me personally more than... The person who just makes excuses for everybody's sin. Well, they did that because of this and that, that. No, they did that. It was a sin. Let's get past it and move on. Like, I don't try to cover it up anymore. I, I, don't, I don't need leaves covering my sin, and neither do you. And if I'm your Christian brother and sister, I'm going to walk with you and say, dude, that was sin. We're not gonna, I'm going to rip your leaves off, okay? We're going to get naked a little bit here. We're going to get back to before this all happened because that's what Jesus restores. That's what the gospel restores True humility, humbleness, the ability to be tough on each other. Jesus spends time and shares the same bloodline with a dude who built a big boat, got drunk, passed out naked. Sounds like a frat party gone wrong to me. But listen, that's not everything, okay? That ain't everything. From the very beginning of time, from the start of creation, Jesus has been numbered in the same bloodline as a dude who passively tapped out sinned and then blamed everyone else around him to cover his sin while hiding in a patch of weeds because he couldn't live vulnerably transparently naked anymore because he was just beginning to get trapped by the same cycle of sin and here's, here's the cycle all of us have been in it all of us have probably walked in with it this morning including me because I'm no different than you right we walk in with this cycle of sin it's sin guilt shame sin guilt shame I sin I feel guilty I get ashamed so I go and I sin some more to cover it up all of us walking with that same thing. It's an infection, guys. It's an inf- and we're totally infected. And, and every time we like try to arrive at the cross saying, oh, I'm pretty good, I'm much better than I was last time. It ain't wrong. <laughs> better than you were last time. That's simple, too. We don't bring anything to the cross of Christ except for our mess and our sin. Amen. And the thank you. The, we don't bring anything to the cross of Christ except for our mess and our sin. like the Ebola virus, man. It's incredibly infectious. It's incredibly deadly. It's incredibly scary. I think I went to Texas, like, that's where the Ebola virus is at. I was a little bit afraid. <laughs> right. I'm even more afraid by brothers and sisters who don't believe they're walking in sin, who stiff arm the crap out of their brothers and sisters, who walk away, talk trash, sever relationships. That, that ticks me off, and yet at the same time, there's this other side of me is so totally compassionate about that because it's like, <sighs> I suck as much as you do. So I, I got I to extend truth and mercy and grace because that's what Jesus does. Builds that into the family, the ability to do that. It's Jesus, man, he throws down. He throws down in a way that this should always amaze us, always amaze us. It really is amazing Grace. It really is amazing grace. When grace ceases to amaze us, when grace ceases to capture us, when it ceases to drive us into God's presence, we, man, we should fear greatly. We should fear greatly and hit our knees trembling, asking for mercy, begging for God to save us, begging for him to enter our world, begging for him to speak to us, begging for his presence, Begging for his forgiveness because he is holy, he's righteous, is perfect, he's sovereign over all things. In light of the fact that Jesus joined our messed up, hopeless family so that we could become a part of God's family, where healing and cleansing and hope can happen, in light of the fact that Jesus joined our family so, so that we could join his, he joined ours so we could join his, we could never join his unless he joined ours first. In light of that, we really should walk out our salvation in fear and trembling. We should. Shouldn't be hiding in our good or our bad behavior. Shouldn't be hiding in that. Shouldn't be standing passively by. Shouldn't be making excuses for the sin in our lives or others' lives. Shouldn't be playing the chicken to save our skin or keep our own reputation up. Shouldn't be faking or posing our way through things and trying to appear as big and bad and as tough or righteous. You know what we should do? We should, like I said, hit our knees Cry out to our Father in heaven, rend our clothing, rip up our lifestyles, and beg him to save us and change us. Beg him for the evidence of salvation in our lives, born out in repentance. That's what we should do. Our lives should be visibly rocked. Our lives should be visibly rocked by this idea and this, this truth, this principle that Jesus joined our physical, sinful family so that we could join his perfect family so that we could leave behind our mess and our hopelessness so that we could gain a clean, new, changed life that is filled with hope. should be visibly changed, visibly robbed, visibly changing, active, not one time changed, not one time changed, but all the time changing should be what's happening in our lives when we say we've been joined by the cross into the family of God. Here's the deal, guys. Don't be deceived. I've been preaching this message of don't be deceived since we started. Don't be deceived. You guys are my friends. Don't be deceived. Here's the deal. God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. His grace is being extended to you in a great and awesome and glorious and a very powerful way in the name and work of Jesus. And you have the opportunity to receive Christ by faith or reject him in unbelief. He became a member of our human family so that we as his enemies who were living in rebellion could become a member of his holy and perfect, righteous, good, and hope-filled family. We're going to conclude here in a few minutes, so I'll invite our musicians forward. What what does this passage teach us as members of the family? And we can all identify with the hopelessness of humanity and our need for the hope that we find in Jesus. We all are members in a human family that has been damaged by sin, right? And all of the human names in our family leave us hopeless. We all come to Jesus in need of adoption as members into a new family. Jesus' name in the family gives us hope. Listen, if this list of names ended with Adam, but did not begin with Jesus, there's no hope. You're just you're living this life, the mess you're living in, it's for nothing. It's for nothing. The reality is that in the gospel we, we realize that this hopelessness This lifestyle of living as enemies of our God in heaven, everything has a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify our Father in heaven. And and he was kind, and he was merciful, and he was gracious, and he was loving. In his kindness, he confronts us with, with sin. I'll tell you this. I heard this this weekend, and it's really good. Man, if you're sitting here today, and, and you're not sensing the weight of your sin, and simultaneously sensing the joy and the glory of your Savior, you should be afraid, and my heart breaks for you. And I pray that before you land on your deathbed, that, that, that God breaks through by the power of his Spirit and convinces you of your deep, Need, brokenness, and mess. Family we come from is messy and hopeless, but the family that God builds is being cleansed and filled with hope. There's a few practical things. Everybody likes practical steps, so they want to go do things and, and be able to say, hey, I, I earned that. It's not the reason I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you because I believe these things are important in the life of a believer. First, recognize that you're a mess. Just recognize that. Quit. Quit hiding it. Recognize that you're a mess. Recognize you're totally helpless. Recognize all that because you're a member of a human family. I'm a mess. This is it. And don't just stop there. And there's some specific things there that you probably need to talk about with somebody. If you recognize that first thing, then here's the next thing you can do. Submit in faith to Christ again and again and again and again. Submit in faith to Christ and cry out to him to save you and change you if you have done this. And if you're doing this, then do this. Begin walking. Begin walking in this truth and practice. Practice these things. Practice gospel disciplines together with other believers. Man, that's no Lone Ranger Christians. Don't be a Lone Ranger Christian. You ain't a Christian. I don't think. Begin walking in this truth by practicing gospel disciplines together with other believers, man. Join a gospel community on a weekly basis Engage Sunday gatherings. Serve others on a weekly basis. Give regularly and generously your time, talent, and your treasure. Confess sin and, and repent. Pursue steps of repentance and growth regularly. Study scriptures often. Pray without ceasing. Journal your thoughts, your emotions, and, and, and prayer like consistently. And recognizing your mess and helplessness submitting to Jesus, engaging in gospel disciplines, and these things won't save you. Those things won't save you, but they're the mark of someone who's saved, and they'll help you grow. Remember, the family we come from is messy, it's hopeless, but the family that God builds is being cleansed and filled with hope. There's going to be Two people near the front that will be here to pray with you, pray for you. Please take advantage of the ministry of prayer this morning as we worship. Allow me to close in prayer. Father, we bless you. We thank you. We ask, God, that you would continue moving in people's hearts in these final moments as we worship and as we pray. Lord, I pray that there are some here that are not currently a part of your family by their by their lack of faith and lack of trust in your son and in the cross. And, God, I pray that this morning that, that the message of the gospel, that there is nothing without you, that we are utterly ruined and utterly bankrupt and utterly full of hopelessness without you, that that rocks someone's world and and that they would come to you and say, Jesus, I am in deep, deep, deep need of your amazing grace and, and and I place my trust in you. I pray that that happens this morning. I pray, God, that you would help us to grow as a family in Jesus' name. And everybody said, hey, let's worship. Stand with me.